Hello everyone, my name is Phil Calvert and a very warm welcome to the Financial Advisor Mastermind and Challenge. Throughout this week, leading experts and consultants to the financial planning profession are sharing amazing insights into just what makes a world-class financial advice business. Today, I'm delighted to be speaking with someone who quite simply describes himself as a marketing guy from Edinburgh. And simplicity is his key. So please welcome Mr. Roger Edwards. Morning, Roger. How are you today? Hi, Phil. Thanks for having me on your show. I'm doing really good. It's uh, actually a lovely day up in here in, in Edinburgh. We're getting close to Christmas, but the sky's blue. Fantastic. So we're recording this at Christmas time. It's quite interesting. Yesterday, I was talking to uh, George Kinder, the life planning um, guru, and um, he panned his camera around and he showed me the sunrise in Hawaii. Uh, can you improve on that for me? Um, I can try. <laughs> I, can, I can show you outside my office window that is the fourth the third of fourth and it's a little bit washed out but the sky is blue phil it's absolutely gorgeous but unlike hawaii it's close to minus one degree so i won't be going outside in my bathing costume today that's that's exactly what george said he was doing yesterday he was going out onto the beach but, yeah. uh, but there we go so let's first, first of all for those that don't know you tell us uh, who roger edwards is uh, where you came from and kind of what you do now. Yeah, I mean, on the whole, I've been a marketing guy, not always from Edinburgh, but I've been a marketing guy pretty much for my entire career. And most of that has been in UK financial services, although I sort of dipped in and out earlier on. Um, I've, I'm not an actuary. I'll get that out of the way first. I'm not an accountant. Um, I am actually quite a creative person, and that's probably why I got into marketing at quite a young age. And I've had various roles within UK financial services companies from the very junior marketing assistant type role, working my way up over many, many years to eventually becoming marketing director of brands like Scottish Provident and Bright Grey, both of which don't exist anymore, sadly. And eventually I was managing director of a financial services firm. But do you know what, Phil? I was getting really into digital technology, you know, the onset of the iPhone and, and cheaper cameras and exciting applications on the internet that I felt would allow not only advisors, but big companies to promote themselves to their customers in more ingenious and exciting ways. I was getting really into that, but the big corporates were really frightened of it. It was almost as if, well, we can't risk this stuff or we might break the compliance rules if we get involved in this stuff. And there was a lot of pushback. And I, I just took the decision um, during another of those famous management restructurings that big corporates always seem to have every few years that actually I'm not going to play anymore and I'm going to leave. I'm going to, I'm going to set up my own consultancy and work with people who genuinely want to explore how to use digital media to promote their businesses, whether that's video, whether it's blogging, whether it's eBooks, webinars, this sort of thing that we're doing now, this technology is available to everybody. You know, when I started in the marketing game, you had to have deep pockets. If you wanted to do a video, it probably cost you 50 grand and then yeah. another 50 grand on top of that to send out dvds of the video to everybody now we can shoot it on our iphones for very little money and probably just our time that it takes to prepare and and i just thought that opportunity was ripe to get out there and help people to market their businesses which i think people need to do 
Yeah, I think the, the whole financial services industry right across the piece has been appallingly slow to uh, embrace new thinking, new digital uh, ways of doing things. And in many ways, um, no wonder as an industry, uh, it's not very trusted. It doesn't engage with real people in their real lives. Um, and I guess it takes, you know, um, people like you to sort of come out, out of the boardroom and go, you know, you know, let them stay in the past. We're gonna we're gonna move things forward. Um, so this is quite interesting. So you've presumably uh, dealt with quite large marketing budgets over the years. Uh, you know, huge uh, sort of sums of money that m most people uh, can only can only dream of. Um, to come up with a good, strong, and robust marketing strategy. I mean, does it take lots of money? Um, you know, for the vast majority of people watching this video today will be from smaller financial advisor firms. And, and it's entirely possible that they'll be thinking, well, we haven't got that kind of budget. Yeah, it's, it's actually spot on. And I think that it, it, if you've got money, you'll spend it, I guess. And I suppose I started off in big corporate and therefore the, the pockets were all, always deep. But I suppose over time, as you become more mature and you, you, you investigate what different ways of doing things, you start to realize that actually there's a lot of complexity in the world around us. And one of the, one of the theories that I've developed as I've gone by is that actually if you try to keep it simple, you can actually do things a lot cheaper than if you actually had a lot of money. Because if you have got a lot, lot of money, you seem to want to be able to complicate things because you can spend money on very expensive consultants, say from PricewaterhouseCoopers or, or that, that sort of international consultancy firm. But actually, if you dig deep into what a marketing strategy actually is, it's really simple. And anybody can do it on a couple of sheets of paper, actually. But if you have that mindset that we've got to employ and spend a million pounds on Egremont or whoever it is, then that's what you'll do. I think as well, Phil, and you, you probably um, have seen this in the work that you do, often the word strategy scares people. Um, when I first started as a consultant, I, I would put myself out there and say to people, you know, I'll help you with your marketing strategy. And as soon as the S word was mentioned, the door tends to get slammed in my face. Or alternatively, somebody had phoned me up and say, Roger, we're, we're looking for help with our social media marketing. And I'll say, fine, but can you tell me about your marketing strategy first? No, 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 not, not strategy. We just want to get on with the social media marketing. Now, I am a bit of a traditionalist, and I do genuinely believe that you can't execute the tactics of a marketing campaign. And let's face it, social media is a tactic. You can't execute the tactic unless you've got the strategy in place. Yeah. I did find that people tend to get scared off by the word strategy. And possibly it's because they have this view that strategy is all about very expensive consultants, which we've already mentioned, going to an, a hotel in the middle of the countryside for a, an away day or an away week or whatever it might be. Uh, millions of post-it notes and writing things on post-it notes, putting the post-it notes on walls. Then the consultant gets you to change the post-it notes around and put them on other, other stickers and this, that, and the other. And, and it sort of sucks the life out of people. And you get into all sorts of things like SWOT analysis, you know, what's that? Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, and pest analysis, political, economic, social, and technology. And they'll talk about Boston grids and Ansoft's matrices and, Great fun. and all of that stuff. And, and people are sitting there thinking, I, I want to go back and do my day job. But I've got 
things to sell. I've got targets to meet. And I think that whole complicated mess, yeah. it, it just puts people off. But the reality is that in order to put together a marketing strategy, you actually only need three things at the top level. You need to have a goal. Is it to sell a certain number of widgets? Is it to make a certain amount of profit? Is it to get so many people onto your email list or whatever it is? The second thing is you've got to have an offer and your offer could be a product. It could be a chocolate bar. It could be a cupcake. It could be a a hairdo. It could be a costume or it could be some financial planning. And the third thing you need is activity. And the activity is the social media or the advertising or the eBooks or the videos like this. And I guess one of the big problems we've got throughout the world, not just financial services, is that a lot of people want to dive into that activity. Give me the videos now, give me the Twitter and the social media now, but they haven't really nailed the goal and the offer. And without the goal and the offer, any activity you do is, is not really going to help generate and grow your business because you don't really know what you're telling people. That's, that's, that's really interesting. Um, I, playing devil's advocate ever so slightly, I suspect, well, I know there'll be a number of financial advisors watching this who are thinking, well, I, I get this. Um, I hear what you're saying, but I don't really need a marketing strategy because we rely on referrals. Um, and always have done, and I mean, it is the case, let's be, let's be honest, that referrals from happy existing clients are still the number one source of new inquiries coming into a financial advisor business. My personal feeling is that, is that as a profession, we've become grossly over-reliant on that. Um, but I just wonder what your thoughts are to, to advisors who might be thinking, I don't actually need a marketing strategy. I think it's... It- absolutely fine if you're getting enough business from referrals and that's enough and you your growth ambitions can be contained within that referral process then that's absolutely fine but if you want to grow your business then i think you do have to explore alternative means now i said that before you've got your goal you've got your offer and you've got your activity i would say that referrals is part of the activity Referrals is, is, is the same, is, is another method of promotion, it's another method of engagement, it's another method of connection. But as you've said, you can't really rely upon just one thing. And if the referrals dry up, what are you going to do? Maybe you need to explore, maybe not advertising because that often costs quite a lot of money, but have you got a content marketing um, element to your um, strategy? Have you got a social media element to your strategy? It's just other ways of engaging with customers. And if you've got engaged customers, then they're going to come along and they're going to want to do business with you. So again, if you keep it simple, you know, it's not going to take you more than a couple of hours to write down your goal, write down your offer. And let's face it, a lot of people don't really know what their offer is. Oh, I'm a financial advisor. I'm a financial planner. I help people with money. Well, what exactly do you do? Do you focus on pensions? Do you focus on investments? Do you focus on protection? Or is it mortgages? And is it to a specific group of people? Or is it to everybody? And I think if you can nail your offer a little bit more clearly, then you can start to, you can start to find ways of promoting yourself by answering the questions that people might have about that offer. So uh, a strategy doesn't have to be a 20-page thing. It can be as simple as what one, one side of A4? 
one side of A4 would be absolutely fantastic. And, you know, going back to big corporate days, I've had those 90 to 100 page strategies and all they end up doing is sitting on a, on a shelf somewhere, gathering dust or propping open an um, air conditioning vent or yeah. something. You know, it just, it's, but if it's simple, you can refer to it and you can use it and you can, and you can, you can implement it, you can action it. Whereas, you know, if you've lost the will to live putting together a hundred or more pages of gobbledygook, then nobody's going to be interested in that. But I, I've worked with quite a lot of people over the last six years since I left big corporate. And I think that the, the offer part of it is, again, it's an interesting one to go through. Um, I tend to get people to answer three questions to get their offer. And the first question is, who is your customer? <laughs> and it always reminded me again, you know, back in big corporate days, we'd be sat around the table and we'd have this question, who is the customer? And the answer usually came out as something like, men and women between the ages of 25 and 55 in the UK, which is pretty much half or more of the population. And, and actually, if you sit there and, and think about that, that's nonsense. Mm. Because if you have such a wide, wide audience, then the offer that you come up with is going to be so amazingly generic that actually it probably won't appeal to many people. And by trying to appeal to so many people, you actually end up appealing to nobody. So you really do need to start thinking about, again, we've said before, are you a pensions advisor, especially from a specialism point of view, or is it investments? But who exactly are you targeting? Is it men? Is it women? Are they living in a certain postcode? Are they of a certain age? Do they earn a certain a certain amount. Now, a lot of advisors are pro probably know this. It's probably in their heads. They've probably been doing it for years, but it not, might not be written down. And I think if you can write it down and absolutely home in on who your customer is, then you've got a better understanding of who they are and what your solution can be. The second question is, what's their problem or what's their issue? And well, they need money to pay the bills, to pay the mortgage, to retire on, to save money if they become ill, all of those sorts of questions. So you, you sort of know the problem that you're focusing on, but how can you articulate it? Is there an easier way of talking about life cover or critical illness or pensions or investments? And then the final question, and this is the most important one, is how can I solve that problem better or indeed different than anybody else? And that's the key. Now, answering those three questions that I've just gone through there is the same as doing SWOT analysis, pest analysis, Boston grids, ANSOS matrices, and Maslow's hierarchy of needs. All of that comes down to answering those three questions. But how do I do it better? And it, how do I do it differently to everybody else? And if you answer those three questions, your offer should actually stand out from the crowd. And once you know your offer, then you can think, well, what are all the, the questions that people are going to ask me about my offer? How much does it cost? What color is it? Et cetera, et cetera. And you can list all of those questions that people might ask about your um, offer. And the answer to each of those questions could be a video like this. It could be a podcast. It could be an ebook. It could be an advert. It could be a piece of content that you could put on your website. You could host a webinar, whatever it might be, that engages the customer and brings them in. And yes, referrals can be part of that. But I think that if you nail that strategy, you've got so much more that you can go at. And 
the potential for growth will be a lot higher. Do you, do you think there's a case for advisors becoming uh, much more niche um, to help them differentiate themselves? I mean, when I was a, a, a young broker consultant, I never ceased to amaze me how many financial advisors I would meet who, who said, oh, we only deal with doctors or we only deal with accountants or we only deal with policemen. Um, is there a case for that today? I would agree. I would say there is, but I can understand why perhaps people don't. Because let's face it, there aren't that many financial advisors to serve the entire population of the UK. Now, I know that not everybody is going to want the services of a financial advisor. Some people just don't have the money to engage one. But this, it's still the fact that there aren't enough financial advisors to serve the people that genuinely do need financial advice. And when the market available to you is so big, then that's another impetus, I guess, to be generalist and to try to serve the needs of everybody. Um, but the problem with that is that you do sometimes end up serving the needs of nobody because your offer is, is quite generic. So I think that if you can focus yourself down into a specific niche, then the potential for growth and potential to become a standout company in the market really increases. Now, um, there's a, a really good um, friend of mine, um, Catherine and Alan Knowles, who run a company in Yorkshire called Cura Financial Services. And they're a pretty small company. There's the two of them, and I think they've got about five or six um, advisors and power planners. But they focus entirely on impaired lives. Oh, I really hate the term impaired <laughs> They, 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 they've even tried to address that. They call them that we, we, we look after quirky lives. That's what they call it, quirky lives. And they've actually focused on it so much. And Catherine's done what I've um, explained now. They, they've done lots of question answering videos about this sort of thing. She's put so many videos out. She's won loads of awards. And a lot of other advisors now refer their business to Cura if they come across an impaired life. Now, obviously, they have some sort of fee-sharing um, agreement going on in that respect, but they've built an incredibly successful business by focusing on, a, you know, the protection market is, is a small part of financial services and the impaired lives part of it is an even smaller part of wow, the yeah. massive success of it. So I think that you can, as long as you know your customer, you know their problem and you know how you can fix it better than anybody else, you can make a success of it. Um, that's great. So let's just dig a little bit deeper into the, uh, so we've got, we're, we're putting our strategy together. Mm -hmm. We need to think about the bits, the activity, the tactics. Um, one of the questions I get asked a lot by financial advisors, and it, and it kind of goes along these lines. They say, Phil, I see Jones and Co down the road. They're using Twitter. Uh, perhaps we should give that a go. And so-and-so down there, Pete Matthew down in Cornwall, he's using uh, podcasting. Perhaps we should give that a go. Um, and so-and-so over there, they're using LinkedIn company pages. Perhaps we should give that a go as well. And the first thing that goes into my head, well, give that a go isn't really very tactical. It's not certainly not very strategic. How, in your view, because there's so many different types of activity that we could do now, what, in your view, how can people decide what's the right approach for them? Should they be using Twitter? Should they be using YouTube? Should they be doing webinars or seminars or something else? What's your view on that? Yeah, I think it, the danger is, as you said, you try to do too much. And, and let's face it, back in the day when Twitter first started and it was new, it was quite easy to build up a big following. Nowadays, getting on Twitter, 
and actually making it work in amongst all the noise is really hard. So it might not be the right route for you. But I think if you've answered those questions we've already been through, especially the who is my customer, then you can sort of work out where they're likely to be hanging out. Um, and it may just be that your particular customer is in a certain geographical area. And actually, you know, even the good old fashioned live seminar might actually be the best thing for them. Or if it's an online audience, do a little bit of um, research to find out where they're more, where they're hanging out, where they're more vocal. So it might be Twitter, it might be LinkedIn. A lot of professionals are on LinkedIn. And obviously, Phil, you've made a, a massive um, success out of your LinkedIn dealings. It's it's about understanding where the who the customer is and where they're likely to hang out. You know, if you're if you're predominantly dealing with people of retirement age, it's very unlikely they're going to be on Snapchat. It's probably unlikely they're going to be on Instagram. They may be, but the majority of them won't. Um, some people may still, um, you know, buy newspapers or local magazines. So, you know, advertising in that yeah. might seem archaic, but actually if you understand that that's where your customer is, that might be the best way. You know, newsletters of golf clubs and, and social clubs and that sort of thing is a possibility. Well, uh, sorry to interrupt. I mean, I know... Um, Jeremy Squibb at Serenity Financial Planning down in down in Cornwall. Uh, one of the best things he ever did uh, was sponsor the local bowling club, um, Crown Green Bowling. They got a dirty great big sign uh, on the side of the bowling green. He he presents a cup, I think, uh, every now and again. I think it's I think he said the best three hundred quid he ever spent. I think absolutely, and you know, a lot of our business still comes from the local area. Um, yes, of course, you can do advice online. You can have face-to-face -face meetings over Zoom like we are here. But if you're a local business, then a lot of your business is going to come from the local area. And there are lots of communications vehicles that don't require a global digital reach in order to get to those people in your local area. Yeah. Now, one of the, one of the tactics that you use uh, very effectively is, is video, video blogging or vlogging. Yeah. And you have this splendid channel on YouTube called the Rog Vlog. Um, if nothing else, Roger, it is the finest set of videos on where to buy good coffee. Uh, <laughs> I've never seen a man drink so much coffee on camera before. Uh, uh, so yeah. how did you get into video and, and how's it working for you? You know, Phil, it, like, like a lot of the things that I've done in my career, I love to experiment. I guess that's why I got frustrated right at, like I had described at the start of the interview because big corporates weren't allowing me to experiment with new technology. I was getting frustrated. Video just seemed to me all of a sudden, instead of having to spend hundreds of thousands of pounds on camera crews and lighting equipment, I now have this piece of technology in my pocket that, I, that can take HD and now 4K quality video. Now, let's just put that into perspective for a moment. The majority of people in the UK still watch DVDs. And DVDs are, if I'm right, 540p as opposed to HD, which is 1080. That's a Blu-ray. And 4K, which is 2060p in terms of pixels. So the, the camera that we have on our phone is four times more powerful than what most people watch on their tv sets yeah. so there's no reason why 
you can't use your iPhone to create incredible video. And I just started ex experimenting with it. Um, some of them were a bit like um, just me stood talking for five minutes about a marketing subject. I'd, I'd sort of do a few videos called Keeping Marketing Simple. They're about two minutes and I ask, answer a question. And then I thought, well, you know, I'll just start experimenting with going behind the scenes because I, I you know, I travel quite a lot like you, Phil, um, speaking gigs and this, that and the other. So I'm on trains and planes. I just started recording my life effectively. Mm. And it's like it's like a virtuous circle. You start videoing things. Oh, I quite like that. And then then I'll I'll start to edit it a little bit, and you start putting titles on, and you become a little bit more um, aware of how to edit and, and and camera angles and stuff like that. And I'm a bit of a geek, so I love this sort of thing. And it's all about telling a story as well. And and I like telling a story. And all of a sudden, people are starting. Oh, I quite like these Rog vlogs. They 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 give you a little bit of an insight into what's going on in your in in the background. But the sort of the breakthrough one is I was speaking at a conference in Edinburgh. It was the the Content Marketing Academy um, conference in 2017, CMA Live. And I vlogged the conference, so I took loads of video of me on stage, but also the other speakers and, and me going behind the scenes, behind the stage, and, and um, talking to the delegates and talking to the other speakers. And I edited all of this together, put it out there. I was really proud of it, edited music into it as well. And about three days later, I actually got an inquiry from a conference producer in Montenegro who'd seen this episode of Rog Vlog and said, mm. oh, we like your video, we'd like you to come and speak at the conference. And I guess that up until then, I've been just messing about with the camera and thinking, you know, let, let me just work out how this could work for me. And all of a sudden, there it was. It was an opportunity for me to get to a wider audience and a wider um, potential for speaking engagements. So ever since that one, every time I've done a speaking gig, and, and I've been to a few very nice Eastern European countries this year, I've always said to the conference producer, in addition to the speaking gig itself, I'll also do this vlog of, the, of my experience. And that's going to showcase not only your conference, but it's going to showcase the city that the conference takes place in. And they've really loved this. Great idea, um, yeah. And, and so I've done that. And it's, it's quite hard work. But yeah, I've had loads of inquiries from that. And I think what it proves is that people like that sort of face-to-face warts and all i guess i mean let's face it i'm not i've not exactly got a face for um video it's more like a face for radio but once you overcome that sort of fear about what people might think of you and, and people don't care they really don't they just want to hear have a see a story they just want to see some nice sights then you you realize the potential of doing this and and, and I've, I've just it's just been really exciting experimenting but now i've almost got this sort of business pur purpose for the rog vlogs now and it's really just to expand and, and make make people see that i'm an engaging speaker and, and hopefully they'll want to have a chat with me about visiting them and, and talking to them at their conference that's interesting so how do you think uh, financial advisors could use video i'm going to just give you one example of, a, of a, uh, an advisor i'm working with um he's he he's not quite sure how he wants to do it so we've thrown a few ideas around together and one idea we've come up with is that every monday morning um when he goes into his office uh he's going to bring the weekend newspapers with him yeah and he will do a quick two minute 
five minutes tops um, review of the personal finance pages of the weekend press and he'll pick out maybe three things he'll say here's a really interesting thing in the Saturday Telegraph uh, about inheritance tax um, it's a great article they make this point they make this point uh, perhaps they could have made more of this point so he's putting his kind of spin on it and then at the end of it he actually he doesn't want to have a YouTube channel but he wants to sort of email the videos to his existing clients so it's a kind of new spin uh, on an email newsletter um, but when you think about it, the vast majority of financial advisors' clients, you know, they probably read similar newspapers at the weekend. And, and what that's suggesting to me is that financial advisors' clients are being educated on personal finance matters by journalists. Mm -hmm. um, where my thinking is, well, surely the financial advisors are in a better position to do that. I just wonder if you've got any thoughts on that or, or other ways that advisors could use video. I, I really like that example because. Yes, exactly. He's building upon what the journalists have said. So he's, I'm the advisor, I'm the expert. This is my view on what this journalist said. But secondly, it's an opportunity to get his face in front of his clients again, or some potential clients, so they can see the real him. So it's not just Barclay, Barclay and Barclay, or whatever they're called. It's him in, in camera, and they can see Warts and all, as I've already said, the real him. And that's engaging. You know, Do you the production all... values have to be high? I know you edit yours and, and they're, they're, they look great. Uh, he's, his production values, with the best one in the world, um, are not great. But that, in my feeling, is that doesn't actually matter, does it? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Even though the iPhone can take 4K video, most people are actually watching these things back on their iPhones. So they'll forgive a lot of maybe a little bit of blurred here and there, a few crackles here and there, as long as it's engaging, as long as it's answering questions that people have got, maybe helping them solve problems that they've got, then people will let you get away with quite a lot. Props, the only thing you need to worry about is audio. Um, it might be worth buying a, a lapel mic or something like that that's perhaps a little bit crisper than the built-in microphone on the iPhone. But to be perfectly honest, you can do anything with an iPhone, maybe buy a little tripod so that it's not wobbling, but that will give you crystal clear video. Now, the aforementioned Catherine Knowles from Cura, she answered, she's gone through the alphabet A to Z, answering questions about impairments. And literally, she's put her iPhone on the coffee table. She sat in her armchair with a cup of coffee. She's another one that drinks coffee. And she's answered a question 90 seconds at a time, two minutes at a time. And similar to your example, she puts that out on a Tuesday, not a Monday, and it's engaging. And people want to do business with them because they can see that she's a really nice lady. She knows her stuff. And your guy knows his stuff because he's, he's interacting with um, the newspaper comments. And that gives people a reason to do business with you. It's yeah. a great way of opening a window into the real you. And I think that, you know, it could be an exact similar thing. What, what, the, what are the top hundred questions you get asked about pensions? Do a, do a, a video on that. Or um, you, you, could just, you could just pick, um, do something really quirky. Like what are the, what are the top 10 finance-orientated blockbuster films? I'm thinking, well, yeah, yeah things like that do a review of that and try and tie it back into you know into the the uh, the, uh, the everyday lives of normal people you know 
tie into popular culture is often quite a nice way of, of breaking the ice and making it interesting and different. Like we said before, if you can be a little bit different and you stand out and that gives you another advantage. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, just on microphones, I thought I'd got one to hand. Um, I'm gonna, I'll put a link to it in the, uh, in the notes below the video. Um, I don't know if you've seen it. There's a fantastic Bluetooth microphone you can buy uh, called Hey Mike, um, and it <laughs> yeah. just clips onto your your shirt or your tie, and it connects by Bluetooth to your mobile phone, um, and it can cover quite serious distances, and so you get really quite good good quality sound. Um, but I'll put a link to it. It's a great great idea. Uh, Roger, I think you've been absolutely fantastic uh, today. Thank you so much for your time. Really do appreciate it. Um, one of the things that we're, that we're doing with this is a challenge and we're asking each of our interviewees to set a challenge to our listeners and to our viewers um, and uh, when you stay to the end of the video uh, for the benefit of the listeners we'll show you how you can join a private group where you can take up these challenges, uh, you can ask questions, get an accountability partner and help each other through the challenges. So Roger what would be your challenge to our financial advisor listeners and viewers? Well, Phil, because we've been talking about video, I thought, why not set a video challenge? So thinking about, again, if we put together a marketing strategy, we've got an offer. Let's list out the top 10 questions that people have about your offer or just the top 10 questions about your, your area of business and record 10 videos face to camera. doesn't have to be um, out, out, out in the wide world, it can be in the office, it can be in your home, wherever it is, face to camera, 90 seconds to two minutes is absolutely ideal. Just press the button and record. Don't worry about making a, a mistake. Just press the button, talk for 90 seconds, talk for two minutes, answer that question, hit the stop button, and then that's it. And upload that video to either Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever you want, all of those if you want, tag me into each time you do it and do 10 videos over the space of maybe a month or one a week for 10 weeks. And at the end of the period, and I, I don't know what you think, Phil, is this going to take us into May and June next year? I'll go back through all of the ones that have been tagged. I might be setting myself up for a lot of work here, <laughs> um, if there's loads and loads of videos, but I'll go back through them and choose what I would consider to be the most engaging set of 10 and I'll fire off a bottle of bubbly for the person that uh, that hits that spot. Oh, that'd be fantastic. Oh, that's, a, that's a great challenge, a nice introduction to people to get into video as well. I guess they could even just use their webcam on their uh, laptop or their computer as well to do that. Absolutely. Webcam is absolutely fine. In fact, I'm using the webcam right here, as, as you probably are. Yeah, fantastic. Roger, that's superb. I really appreciate your help today. Thank you so much. Uh, very much appreciated. Uh, so as I said, for everybody else watching, um, look out in the notes for how to join a private group uh, where you can buddy up with other people, help each other out with these challenges, uh, get accountability partners and make sure that you get these things done. Because, and I'm sure you'll agree, Roger, there's so much content for financial advisors out there on the internet, which we're adding to uh, as, as we speak but none of it's of any value at all unless you actually take action. So that's part of the, the idea of these challenges. So once again, thank you very much to Roger Edwards. Great to see you today. And thanks to everybody else for, for listening and for watching. Goodbye. Thanks, Phil.